Welcome to Sundays at Cafe Tabac, the podcast. Hi, I'm Wanda Acosta. Hi, I'm Karen Song. This podcast series is an extension of our film's mission to affirm and extol the courage, vision, strength, and joy in our LGBTQ community through the preservation and sharing of our personal stories and the collective histories we live through and change. On this episode, we welcome Sherry Vine, a.k.a. Keith Levy, who has been performing her hilarious comedy shows which feature her live singing and saucy renditions of hit songs for over 30 years, earning her the title of Drag Legend. Sherry is the star and writer of her own variety show, She's Living For This, which is currently streaming on Hulu, and she is the queen of YouTube, where her video parodies have been viewed over 19 million times. Now let's hear Sherry Vine's coming out story. Hi, I'm Sherry Vine, AKA Keith. I'm happy to be here to share two coming out stories, coming out as a gay man and then coming out as a drag performer. And they were both actually really easy. Um, when you first asked me to share my story, I was like, oh, it's so not exciting. I mean, there's no drama or anything. But then I was like, well, maybe people need to hear that also. Maybe that will help someone else that's coming out or a parent that's hearing this or something. I don't know. But shockingly, I didn't officially come out until I was 19, which I know everyone's like, what? Because I was such a sissy growing up. <laughs> but I think that... um it was really hard. I fought against everybody that was making fun of me. And I was really bullied growing up and especially in elementary school, middle school and high school. I mean, they were just horrible times for me. And it was really bad. And it didn't help that I was fighting it so strongly instead of just being like, yeah, I'm gay. Get over it. I think that would have taken the air out of their balloon and that would have been a lot easier. But I was I was like, just because I wear Jordache jeans and have a perm doesn't mean I'm gay. <laughs> and I mean, I look at pictures of me from high school and I was like, girl, please, you can't run around in skin tight Jordache jeans tucked into cowboy boots with a perm and then be mad at like, why are people calling me a faggot? Um, so yeah, I was just such a flaming queen. Anyway, when I got out of high school, it's really weird to look back at it now because in June, the end of senior year of high school, that June, I was like, thank God I'm out of here. Finally, that chapter is done. I'm ready to get the fuck out of here. It was horrible. Three months later, September, I start college and all of a sudden Everything that I was bullied for and picked on is being celebrated. I was like, oh, who's that weird, crazy guy? What's his story? Do you know what I mean? It's so it's like, it was so weird. I mean, I was having sex with um, all the boys in the neighborhood at a very young age. But I was having sex with the girls, too. So I was think I was just a pig, really young. But... I first realized that something was different when the boys that I was kind of fooling around with got to an age where they were like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I've got a girlfriend or whatever. And I was like, why? What do you mean? <laughs> and, and 
I think that's when I was like, hmm, I'm the only one that wants to keep doing this. Everyone else is moving on. So that's when I kind of, but I didn't really have a word for it. And it was, you know, this is the 80s, well, the late 70s, early 80s. It was still very um, not appealing. It's actually made me terrified at the thought that I might be like that. It was a different time. There was no gay straight alliance in schools like there is now. There were no role models really on TV before Ellen and everything and before Will and Grace. And yeah, I just felt like, oh, are these horrible things these people are saying about me at school? Is that true? That can't be true. I'm not going to let it be true. And I was terrified as most people are. So I remember seeing the movie Cruising. My aunt took me to see Cruising when I was 16. My father was furious, not because it was gay, but because of the violence. He's like, are you out of your mind? Why would you take him to see that? I was 16. And I remember being like, oh, I don't want that. I don't want any part of that. So it wasn't until I got to college, I had sex for the first time, I think as a man with a man. And, you know, as an adult where it was like, not just like fooling around, experimenting, that it was like, I was 19, he was 20, adults having sex. And that's when I was like, oh, that's definitely me. And we became really good friends and went out and everything. And I was kind of prepared to tell my parents. And then my sister was killed in a car accident. And that's when I think I was like, this is not a good time. And I really thought in my mind that I was like, I didn't want them to lose two kids. And that was just on me. That certainly wasn't anything they did or said. My parents were kind of hippies without the drugs. Like they were a little too old to be like Woodstock acid tripping hippies. They weren't, but they were of that philosophy. The music, certainly. I mean, I grew up listening to the Beatles and early Elton John, Stevie Wonder, like my dad loved Zeppelin, all of that. So they were kind of like of that world without the drugs. And honestly can say I've never heard either of them say anything racist or mean, but they were very, very anti-drug and anti-violence. And I remember, I think I was 15 when Saturday Night Fever came out and I wanted to see it so bad. It was rated R. I mean, I was obsessed with disco and I was like, I have to see this movie. And they were like, well, we're going to go see it first. And they came home with the album. So I was like, that's probably not a good sign. And they were like, you can't see it. And I was like, why? It's a movie about dancing. And my mom's like, there's this horrible scene. They raped this girl and they're really horrible to her. And I don't want you to see it. And I wasn't allowed to see Jaws because of the violence. So it wasn't until I moved to California to go to college that I called my parents and I was like, I'm coming. I got to come out. And it was on the phone. They were both on the phone, different phone lines. I was like, well, you know, I, uh, I think I'm gay. My mom literally laughed. She was like, oh, honey. Oh, honey. And, <laughs> and they were like, we've known since you were like three. And after that, I could look back objectively and realize they never once, never once 
put pressure on me about girlfriend or are you gay? Like there was none of that. They were just like, took a step back and they were just waiting for me to discover who I was and to tell them. I remember playing little league baseball and my dad was like, one of those fathers that was like on the sidelines and coach like, yeah, yeah, you're dead. And all this. And one day we were driving home after a game and he was like, are you having fun? And I was like, um, I don't think so. And he was like, don't do this for me. If you're not having fun, then don't do it. I was like, okay. And he's like, do you want to stop going to baseball? I was like, yes. Okay. What do you want to do? I want to tap dance. And he didn't miss a beat. He was just like, okay, let's find you a tap class. And they did. And so I can say now how lucky and blessed I was to have these parents who loved me completely, unconditionally, in the truest sense of the word. So the coming out, no drama, no crying, no religion, no why, what did we do wrong? None of that. It was a three-minute conversation. And they said, one, We're mostly concerned about your health because this was the 80s. And two, we just want you to be happy. I was like, okay. And they were like, you know, when you have a boyfriend, you're welcome to bring this person home, whatever, which I did. It was just so easy. So I was really, really blessed. I had friends that don't talk to their families at all. Like my mom's always like, how, how can a parent do that to their child? Like, I don't understand. How could you go to sleep at night not knowing where your child is and choosing that? So I was very lucky. I remember the first boyfriend I had that was serious. I was living in Berlin at the time, and he was from Poland, but living in Berlin. And I was like, well, I've met someone, and it's serious enough that I think I'm going to bring him home. And they were like, great. And I know that they had a conversation because my mom told me that, At one point, my dad was like, well, if Keith is sleeping in the guest room, where is Madik going to sleep? And my mom's like, what are you talking about? They're going to sleep in the same bed. And my dad was like, oh, well, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. (laughs) And I thought that was like, oh, that doesn't sound like something he would say. And I think it was just like a reflex because after one hour of us being there, my dad pulled me aside and he was like, He's really great. I'm so happy for you. You seem really happy. And he was literally part of the family the whole time we were together. They were really, really, really great. I was just very lucky. Then when I moved to New York to start theater couture, and I had just started performing as Sherry Vine, then I had to come out again. And that was actually even a little more difficult in one way because, one, my entire life, All I talked about was getting to Hollywood to be a movie star. Like there was never a plan B ever. Everything was geared towards that. I worked really hard in undergrad school to get accepted to a college in LA. I was going to be in Hollywood. When I graduated college, I had an agent. I was doing commercials and theater and auditioning. And I had two different commercial agent, theatrical agent. I was like, okay, I'm on the path that I want to be on. And then to literally just be like, oh, I'm moving to New York City to be a drag queen. That was more kind of like shocking to them than anything. Because they're like, what are you talking about? All you've ever talked about is being in Hollywood and you're there. Things are going really well. And I'm like, yeah, I just have this calling. And they're like, um, 
okay. And I'm going to perform in drag. And my mom was like, oh, that sounds so fun. And my dad was like, uh, okay. Um, as long as you're happy. And again, I think that the only thing they have seen of drag was like the sad, tragic, pathetic gay man who is performing in drag for attention or because they were bitter or Mrs. Doubtfire. So there was no like reference for them at all. The first show we did, they came up to see, and it was at PS 122 in the East Village. And I just remember being so nervous. The minute I walked out on that stage, my mom giggled nonstop until the very end. So in my mind, I was like, she's in. But I didn't know how my dad was taking it. And then after the show, my mom came up. My mom was like, where'd you get those legs, bitch? And and my dad was like, you know what? I had something completely different in my head. And after five minutes, I totally forgot that you were my son. And you're really funny. And that was it. And they came to every show, you know, the big play that we did every year. They came every time. They went to Bordeaux. They went to Indochine when we did Bordeaux there. When I lived in Berlin, they came over because we were going to take a family trip through Switzerland. So they came to Berlin first and saw Joey and I were doing a big show in Berlin. And they came to that and they hung out with all my friends. And throughout all the years, they became really good friends with my friends. So they were just so, so amazing and cool and sweet and um and my dad just passed away like right before thanksgiving and so i was in north carolina for two weeks for that and i had been on supermarket sweep and he was actually in the hospital and i was like oh it's too bad that you didn't get to see me on tv and he's like i saw the nurses came into my room we watched you on supermarket sweep i got to see him i wasn't didn't want to fly of course because of corona pandemic but i really thought about it. i was like i'm not going to say goodbye to my dad on facetime i'm going home so i flew there i quarantined in a hotel i got a rapid test then when that came back negative then i went to see them and i'm so glad that i did that because i got to say what i wanted to say and he got to say i'm really proud of you i've been very lucky and blessed and i wish that it was that easy for everybody coming out So I don't know about you, Wanda, but I smiled from beginning to end listening to this story. What an incredible storyteller. Um, I'll refer to Sherry Vine as she, uh, since that is who we're introducing as as a subject of the podcast. But of course, there's Keith. And here I'll refer to the person who just told the story as uh, Sherry Vine and she. So um, Wanda, you've seen her so much through the years, through your years um, at Bardo. And, um, and also just for our listeners who didn't know who um, she was referring to when she mentioned Joey, of course, that's the infamous Joey Arias. Um, Wanda, tell us, you know, You've been there, and and uh, and of course they have their annual Bardo reunion at um, Indochine, our beloved restaurant, uh, iconic space on Lafayette. But uh, Bardo, Wanda, tell us your history of, uh, of Bardo for those who don't know Bardo. First of all, uh, Sherry Vine is the quintessential <laughs> drag queen. <laughs> And a legend in New York City. Mm-hmm. Bardo uh, was this very small hole-in-the-wall bar in the West Village mm. that 
just had the most amazing drag shows mm-hmm. in the early 90s into the 2000s. I think they were there almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it was Sherry Vine, uh, Joey Arias, mm-hmm. who is beyond legend, <laughs> and Raven O with Edvige, the mm-hmm. late Edvige, who was a very dear friend of ours. Uh, and originally, it started only on Monday nights, and then they were doing, it was so popular, they did Mondays and Saturdays and probably mm-hmm. threw another day in in between. And they mm-hmm. uh, they threw on their costumes, and they sang with their own voices. And that was what was unique at the time for drag. They were actually using their own singing voices, and they were mm-hmm. amazing. And it was a crazy, popular, fun, right. debauch <laughs> evening. Oh, how to describe those nights. I mean, honestly, that room couldn't have fit more than what, like, I don't know, how many people could even fit in that tiny space? It was a corner bar. I think probably legally only like 30 people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> legally 30 people. It was on the corner of Bedford and Downing. Right. And, and that was uh, such a beautiful corner at that time in the early 90s. There's not much around there. And you, it was like cobblestone on one street. And you really mm-hmm. felt like you're in this like tucked away corner of New York. A little and it was, speakeasy. Yeah. Also, it wasn't, it, the crowd was so diverse, but it was it was such a mixed crowd there were but there were a lot of non LGBTQ people that came to see them week but to week to week it was a really m- menage of, of 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 people that would come to mm. see these shows I just remember being in those rooms and, and that space was so beautiful. I mean, shout out to Jean-Marc of Indochine fame, but also was one of the owners. I guess, was he the sole owner or one of the owners of Bardot? He was one of the one of the partners. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but it really felt like it was part of his like imprint, like his flavor that kind of made the space as beautiful mm-hmm. as it was. And it was very dark with kind of like amber lighting and these low um, like brown uh sofas and it was very loungy and a little bar and then and then the and the, the stage uh, was a podium DJ's in the middle of the room <laughs> right <laughs> that they just sat on and the dj's booth was the little um phone mm-hmm. booth that was like covered in red mm-hmm. velvet as i remember and uh, you know maybe it's 30 people legal in the space but it was like on those nights it was packed people sitting on the floor sitting on each other's laps just to see if people like holding each other and just just getting really tight and close and cozy and then uh joey you know getting up there and singing uh something in french or a vige and it, it really felt like something that you would imagine uh in in paris in the 30s and or sherry Berlin. doing her and, her funny oh, her funny <laughs> parodies her Perverted parodies that would just crack you the hell up because they were so, as she would say herself, they were just so stupid, but that they were so stupid funny. (laughs) (laughs) Like poop jokes. And to your point... I'm trying to think, like, where else did we see drag at the time? I mean, it was like Lucky Mm -hmm. Chang's was an institution, but that became, I felt like, kind of like a tourist spot where where it was mainly like straight folks who come from out of town who... And they really didn't do performance. They were just sort of there kind of hosting, lip syncing -syncing. and and waiting on the tables. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Though they had some performances. There was lips. In the West Lip Village. Right, of course, the West Village. My favorite, I think, uh, next to Bardot was uh, at Escalina. Do you Esquilita? remember that? Up in, um, yeah, Esquilitas, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Near, um, uh, that it was, was like in the 30s. Yeah. Hell, uh, in Hell's Kitchen. And that, 
at 2 a.m., the drag shows that would come on were and just And those were the Latina drags. That was yeah. Latina drag. That was, was saucy, beautiful. saucy. Oh, my God. So much salsa and so <laughs> much, like, it was just such a beautiful room. But what's so fascinating is that at that time, it really felt like you had to go, you know, downtown. You had to go to these kind of spaces that you had to know of um, to experience this beautiful community and performance and then now cut to today where RuPaul's, you know, drag show is so mm -hmm. mainstream. Mm -hmm. I mean, RuPaul's um, drag show, I feel like, has really come to the fore in terms of uh, mainstream culture. I'm wondering if that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I mean, I could be I could be wrong, but I feel like. Um, you know, the difference between what Joey Raven and Sherry and Jackie mm -hmm. Bead and Bun, Lady Bunny mm -hmm. and Shade Pendavis mm -hmm. and all of those early mm -hmm. New York downtown drag queens were doing was were they were they were actually performing right. they were performing they had something that they had to bring to the table besides just the the mm -hmm. hair and the mascara outlandish makeup and the costumes and the mascara and the and the and the stockings <laughs> um, whereas um, drag uh, from RuPaul's Drag Race point of view. And Instagram is is more about you know the mm -hmm. visuals about you know the makeup and the hair and and the walk mm -hmm. and the maybe being more of a performance per se but not necessarily a talent mm -hmm. uh, which we, right. all of those drag performers were extremely right. talented yeah lip sync up yeah, my yeah, gosh so many amazing. so many names from that era um, wow I've seen uh, Sherry Vine perform through the years and. It's amazing. Never knew um, her backstory, you know, as as Keith and Keith's backstory. And, um, you know, I think when we first, you know, wanted to do this podcast of coming out stories, um, you know, we wanted to hear kind of all the nuances of everyone's personal stories and not necessarily wanted to put it in the lens of like, oh, coming out, out is so hard. And um, the beauty of it is it's, it reflects everything about who we are as humans and our relationships with our families and our communities and our friends. And um, the beauty of this is it really is that the kind of like other extreme of what you would expect um, of a coming out story in, in, mm -hmm. in past years as far as it being this like tragic, you know, really difficult moment. Mm -hmm. um, and it is still, of course, hard for many people, but it's so beautiful to see that it could also be this, and Absolutely. that um, wow, that you're 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 just embraced for who you are yeah. and supported and encouraged. Yeah. I loved when he <laughs> says and he tells his mom, and yeah. his mom's like, "Oh, honey, <laughs> we knew since you were like three. We were just waiting for you to figure it out." Oh my god, it's, it's so great. great. It's, it's so great. Yeah. Especially when you see some like young queer kid and you're like, oh, you know, bless your heart. You, you know, you just know already like they just have to get through it and get to it themselves. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think it's really beautiful for all of our listeners who are um, not queer, but who might have queer children and um, to know that it could be this way, that it could just be like, all right, like, mm -hmm. this is great. You know, you just let your, your child figure out yeah. who they you know are and and just be a supportive yeah who they are and support yeah, exactly. them so they can flourish anyway mm -hmm. yeah so just love them we, you know well. thank you to sherry vine and to keith for sharing their story with us yes and to keep's parents for being so yeah, amazing exactly
So uh, we appreciate um, uh, our folks who are listening and checking in with us. And we really enjoy uh, sharing these stories with you. And um, we will be... Um, yeah, thank you know. so much for, for, for all of our listeners that have kept on with our episodes or for the new people that are just joining and yeah spread the word yes, and, and spreading the word you know, like Karen just said we're you know we are learning as we go as well but we really wanted to share these incredible uh, mm-hmm. empowering and beautiful stories mm-hmm. with everyone and this is our first season and season two will bring some new surprises and maybe more conversation as well <laughs> for sure This podcast episode was recorded at the Newsstand Studio at 1 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City. For more, subscribe to Sundays at Café Tabac, the podcast. You can learn more about us and our film at cafetabacfilm.com and at Café Tabac Film on social media. Please share your thoughts with us on our social media. And if you have a coming out story you'd like to share for a possible feature here, reach out to us. 